Welcome, everyone, to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. And uh, we have a wonderful group of folks with us today. That would be Nick Birdsong and Bill Bender, both from the Sporting News, are joining us. Nick, is, of course, does an outstanding job as their NBA writer and uh, college football expert is Bill Bender. So both of them with us today. We're excited about having a chance to chat with them. They, of course, will be joining the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, Tim Williams up in Boston. So, without any further ado, let's get started and let's talk some NBA playoff basketball. And that, of course, means that we want to talk to Mr. Nick Birdsong. And Nick, um, some outstanding play that we've seen so far uh, with Boston and um, and Washington uh, and, of course, uh, the battle in Texas between Houston and San Antonio. Your thoughts on what's going on in the playoffs in 2017? Yeah, man, it's the, I call it the most wonderful time of the year. You know, it's when um, I, don't have to, I don't have to make excuses for being lame. I can just go home and watch basketball all night and not have to go out. But just uh, especially with the series that we've had, the second round has been kind of weird with the uh, – with the with the number of blowouts that we've had, but I uh, definitely uh, the the Washington Boston series and now the uh, the Houston San Antonio series are, are really heating up. So it's definitely an exciting time, man. Guys, I'll leave the floor open to you to um, query our guest, Mr. Birdsong. Well, I'm, my question would be if you are great, uh, you know, if you're the Rockets, do you not feel that you just gave one away last night? Oh, definitely. I mean, I mean, uh, you, they definitely gave one away, especially with Kawhi uh, going out late with Tony Parker, you know, uh, being injured. But I mean, that's that's why that's why Manu was one of the great. I don't even know if you can call Manu a role player, but just one of the greatest, greatest, greatest players in, in postseason history because he can come up with a play like that and a performance like that um, when, when it when it's when his team needs it. If you if you look at the course of the game, Harden had been you know shooting right in the face of defenders, you know. All night they they were trying to switch. They were trying to stay. And Manu gets up in him. He takes a gamble, but but that's the kind of player that he is. You know, he he said, you know, I, I could have let him shoot it and hope that he missed, and and that could have been a game time shot. Um, but he said I, I felt like that was a bigger risk than me just trying to block it. And so, because uh, I think even if he fouls him, you know, Harden's a great free throw shooter, but he's got to put three in the basket in a, in, a, in a clutch situation. So I think going for the block right there um, was great. But to answer your question, they definitely definitely let one definitely let one get away. Um, and, and with Kawhi being able to walk around, I mean, there's probably a good chance that he, he could be able to play and, and not are in real trouble out there. I thought, uh, guys, I, I thought Harden ran out of gas in, in overtime. Um, sloppy, very, uh, you know, we're not used to that from James Harden. I think at least three turnovers in, in the five-minute overtime. Um, a little too much, a little too much one-on-one. There's there's no movement going on in Houston. When they're not on the fast break and they're in the set offense, uh, you know, it's give the ball to Harden and uh, and spread out. Um, I, I I see more teamwork from the Spurs. Uh, I'll ask Nick this, Jim. You know, I got the I got a sense that uh, this is kind of the last roundup, you know, for the old Spurs. Now Duncan's gone, obviously, but I'm t- you know Parker's hurt. Ginobili's got to be on his last legs. Uh, I think uh, this is it. Um, and even if they get by Houston, which I think they will, um, I don't. I don't see them giving Golden State uh, much of a problem the way Golden State's playing. And I don't really think the Boston, uh, you know, Wizards winner Jim, with all due respect, uh, is going to shake uh, the foundation of the Cavaliers. 
So it looks like, Nick, what we all thought it was going to be six months ago, and it looks like uh, looks like Warriors Cavs, and uh, you know what? There's a lot of intrigue if that's the way it happens. Yeah, I think I think this year, um, knowing knowing what both teams had coming back, I think there might have been a, there, there was definitely some drama with the Cavs with some of the, the troubles that they had, especially um, especially defensively um, this year. Um, but it, it seems like you know when LeBron goes zero dark twenty three or whatever he calls it, and, and he came out playing the way that he that, the way that he has his postseason. Uh, if he's gonna shoot forty eight percent from three, um, you know, and sixty six percent. In, in the paint, I think that that's that's better than than Steph's best percentage from three, and better than Shaq's best percentage in the paint in the playoffs. He's going to be a tough customer for anybody in the East. The Warriors is, a, is an entirely different. Um, they're an entirely different animal. What they're able to do defensively, and even, and of course offensively with, with Kevin Durant. But yeah, I, I definitely think that's where we're headed, and and I'm not mad about it at all. I, I think it's like watching a historical film, watching watching the uh, the season this year. Like you know where this thing is headed. And part of the drama was just seeing how it unfolded with with KD's injury, and now you got, you know, uh, Steve uh, Steve Kerr's health problems with the Cavs. If they could ever get their defensive rotations together, them trying to find that playmaker and that backup point guard that they got in Darren Williams, never really being able to get the center situation together with Larry Sanders not working out, um, and other guys, uh, other guys suffering injuries. But I think um, we all knew where this is headed. But man, it, I don't see how you can watch last year's final and be mad that we're getting Cavs-Warriors again this year if that's what happened. I'd be less than representative of the Washington area if I didn't mention the fact that I still think that uh, if if the Wizards could advance, I think they would at least have some fun uh, against the Cavaliers. I don't see a sweep in that, in that series at all. I think that that would be a fun series. I don't think the Cavaliers would lose. I just think that uh, it would be a fun series to – as the maturation of Wall and Beal as, as one of the premier backcourts in, in basketball kind of comes together. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely think if, if, if Washington can, can pull away in that series, I, I don't think that – I was never concerned uh, if, if I'm the Cavs. I don't think I would have ever been concerned about having to, having to beat Boston, even, even though they're the number one seed and, and they had some ups and downs against them in the regular season. I think if you're hitching your – I love IT, but I think if you're hitching your wagon to – you know, a five-nine point guard, um, and you don't really have a solid second or third option against a team like the Cavs with the, with the shooters that they have. I don't think that's they they were ever worried about that. I think I think Washington though, um, when you're able to make uh, when you, when you have a John Wall, um, who could be some people say the second best player in the East, Eastern Conference. Um, you know, you can debate about Paul George or or, or Isaiah Thomas or or or, or Giannis in, in Milwaukee, but a guy who's in that conversation and having to defend him off the dribble in pick and roll situations, and then having a shooter like Bradley Beal um, and another shooter like Otto Porter, and they have some size underneath with with, with Gord Todd and with Morris. I definitely think that they can match up. Like you said, I think they can get a game, maybe two. Um, but I, I ultimately I see the Cavs prevailing, but I definitely think that's the more entertaining matchup from a fans' perspective is just to see those two teams. And then I also like the fact that I mean both of those teams, but I like the fact that Washington has a little nasty. You know, I think Boston does as well. Um, but I, I just like I like I like Washington's attitude. I like, I like the edge that they could bring. I don't think any of those dudes got any back down in them. I think mean, they, they'll take it to the Cavs as best they can. You know, um, uh, what... go ahead, Tim. Go ahead. I, I was going to just bring up, you mentioned it's going to be hard for a team to hitch their wagon to Isaiah Thomas, as great as he's been for the Celtics. And I've been watching this Celtics team all year, obviously living up here in Boston. It leads me to wonder, 
even if they get past the Wizards, I agree, they don't stand much chance against the Cavaliers in any real way. They, they It'd be hard to see them taking more than a game from Cleveland as well-coached and as, as good as they can be. But where did where do they go from here? Now that they have this team, they have what could be a very high draft pick, but the top two players in the draft happen to play the same position as Isaiah Thomas. So where do the Celtics go from here, wherever they end up falling out in the playoffs? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a, that's a great question. And, and, and what I think it is, when, when I say hit your wagon too, I mean, I mean, you need some complimentary pieces along with him, at least just from a basketball perspective, because he holds the ball in the middle of the floor a lot. Um, and so you need, in the same way that Harden is able to facilitate when he has the ball in the, in the, in, in the middle of the court because of the shooters and the aggressive players that they have around him, the, 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 um, the Rockets are able to be successful. So I think, I think one, you need another wing guy. I think that's why a, a, a scoring wing guy, I think that's why they try to make a hard push um, before the trade deadline to try to make a move. Um, for 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 a guy like Paul George. Now, if we're looking at the draft and you're looking at Markel Fultz and you're looking at um, Lonzo Ball being the top two guys and them both playing them both playing a point guard position, I think um, although generally in the NBA draft you go best player available, I think that they're in a position where they could go need. Um, and you have to look at a guy uh, like the kid out of Kansas, um, the guy Jackson, Jackson. And I, somebody somebody who can attack from the wing, somebody who has a little bit of length um, and his shooting. Um, and improve throughout the course throughout the course of the season. So I think you have to look at for them. You you may have to look at at, at need um, because they don't have that second or third guy um, who's capable of giving you 25 or 30. And when you're in the playoffs, um, where you know uh, rotations get smaller as far as you know you don't go as deep into your bench, and then you're able to game plan from from game to game, and you really get to see. Who's the better coach? Who's the better team? The best team is going to win. The best coach team, the best the team that plays the best is going to win in the seven game series. If you look at the Houston San Antonio series in game two, uh, they they kill with the high screen and roll with with Kawhi Leonard and, and Pat Gasol. Then Houston goes to more zone based principles in their man to man sets, and they can't even run that play. So Pop but Pop was able to adjust because of the kind of coach he is and because of, and because of the personnel that they have. So I think Boston needs to look. And need because I think if you have to depend on IT in the playoffs to score 35, 40 points, it's going to be harder. That's why you see a drop off where he can where he can go for 53 and then go for 13 because adjustments will be made in the playoffs, and you need other guys to be able to fill in those gaps so that he can figure out another way to get his offense because you can't play the same tune like you can in the regular season. Um, the question I would have is is the do you see any residual effect from uh, Washington's 26-0 third quarter run Sunday night, uh, which turned a tie game into a into a blowout? Uh, is that the kind of thing that that hangs around? Do you think as as the Celtics uh, try to reestablish control of the series? I, I don't buy into that. Just just for the simple fact that you know when, when you when you throw the ball up, you're playing the game. And you have and you have to you have to react to what's going on out there in the out out there in the court. Um, is that something that they want to address and see what happened during that during that run on film, uh, during during film sessions and, and from a coaching and practice standpoint? Yeah, but once the ball goes up in the air, I think they're just playing. If if I was if I'm if I'm if I'm a Boston fan or 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 on that coaching staff or a player, I'm more concerned about what can we do about this game, regardless, you know, 
of what happened the last game. I don't know why IT's worried about what what uh, Draymond Green is saying about Kelly Olenek. I'm worried about just are we focused to play this game because both teams have shown this, this you know, that, hey, one, that we can beat these guys, and, and now you have to go and try to steal a game back on their floor. But I don't think that, um, you know, if, 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 if you're Boston, you have to worry about being able to do that to win the series. But I, I don't think um, – I don't. I don't think that uh, that 26 point run is going to be the determining factor or, the, or a watershed moment um, in the series at all. I think you just got to put that behind you and just play the game that's in front of you right now. Hey Jim, I got a question for Mr. Bender, Jimmy. Uh, Mr. Bender up in Ohio, are you there? Uh, I'm here. All right. Here's my question. Uh, statement slash question. Uh, if, as expected, your Cavaliers meet the, the Warriors. Uh, my belief is uh, almost all of the pressure is going to be on Golden State. Um, they went out and got Durant. Uh, he's supposed to lead them to the promised land. They're playing great ball. The Cavs won it last year. LeBron, uh, you know, uh, made good on his promise to Cleveland. And correct me where I'm wrong. Uh, I'm not saying there's not going to be expectations in uh, in Ohio that the Cavs are going to win the series, but it seems like the pressure would squarely be on the Warriors. Tell me where I'm wrong. Well, I can tell you the, the world we're living in up here now is I have a six-year-old son. He's a Cavs fan. I'm, you know, a casual NBA fan, but he's sitting here the other night. The Raptors were up by two, and he goes, I don't know if I can live like this. And I just I laughed because I'm thinking this is Cleveland, and this is Cleveland sports fans. And, um, you know, the Cavs, they're, they're going to expect to win the NBA Finals. And as, as it goes to pressure, I mean, Golden State's going to have a lot of pressure. Yeah, they, they added Durant. Nick actually wrote a really good piece for us on Durant the other day. But um, there's always pressure on LeBron James because his legacy, and we're always comparing him to Michael Jordan and comparing him to Magic Johnson and, compare, and you know, basically overanalyzing every single move he makes. So, yeah, the pressure is still on Cleveland because when you when you look back at it, you're going to wonder – you had the best basketball player on the planet. How many NBA titles is, are going to come with it? And I know, you know, for the foreseeable future, they're going to play Golden State this year. I would bet that they're going to play Golden State next year. So, you know, how many of those can they steal? But And it's going to take another effort like last year from LeBron to do that. I mean, I looked back. I mean, remember how good he was in the one they lost? I mean, uh, he's that good, yet he's always been judged against a higher standard that goes beyond just Cavs Warriors. I never thought I'd see anybody better than Jordan. I still don't think he is. But, Joe, he's in the conversation, Joe. He's in the damn conversation for one of the, you know, one of the five greatest basketball players of all time. I don't, I don't And he's not done yet, Joe. He's not done. No, um, he's, not, he's not done. And anyone who, who would would look at the uh, at the Warriors and say, well, they've got Durant this year. That's that's going to be the difference. Um, I'm not buying it because uh, first off, uh, Kevin Durant hasn't won anything, and LeBron James has. And there is something to be said for going in and being able to look at the Golden State Warriors and go, you know what, we beat you last year. We can do it again. So LeBron is as much a force of will right now as he is a basketball player. And, and in, in that sense, he is like Jordan and, and magic and, and maybe even Kobe in his prime. Um, 
we are seeing greatness. And like you said, Ira, it's not over yet. So, you know, I think they, uh, the, I agree with everybody that the, that this is going to be the final that we see. I don't think there's any question about that. And um, all I can tell you is I'll watch. I do feel it's a little like a um, a good card in, in boxing and in that these other two series right now, the the Houston-San Antonio series and the Boston-Washington series, they feel like undercards, but they're great undercards. These are great matchups between these two teams that the winner might be destined to fall flat against a juggernaut team in their conference in the next round, but they're going to be a lot of fun to watch getting there. And that's there's something to be said for that, even if we can't talk about any of those four teams in context of can they really make a deep run? This is about as deep as they go, but it's going to be a great series moving forward between in, in both of those cases. That was a fantastic game last night. Nick, you, you saw it. Uh, riveting. Uh, Ginobili, you know, besides that incredible play to end it, uh, made a fantastic drive down the lane with a little spin on the ball and Danny Green. Oh. Uh, Nick, who, who's known, you know, for hitting three-pointers, uh, and he hit one from about 30 feet. That was key. Uh, also did a drive, and I believe switched to the left hand. And you, you don't expect that out of Danny Green. So, you know, I'm looking at the Spurs, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you, I think you could make a, an argument, and I think it's credible. Popovich might be the NBA coach of all time, considering unlike Phil Jackson or Auerbach with Russell, he didn't have the best, you know, as good as Duncan was. Uh, he probably wasn't the best player in the league at any given point uh, when, when, when uh, you know, Kobe and, uh, and Shaq were around. Uh, Popovich's resume is, is unbelievable, guys, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, like you said, it's, it's hard to say. Well, first of all, let me, let me backtrack and, and just go – just to address it, I mean, I, I definitely agree with the sentiments, man. Like, I'm just, I'm just a basketball fan, um, and so I, I think a lot of times we talk about being prisoners of the moment, but sometimes I think it's okay to just enjoy the game that you're watching. You know, um, sure, you know, it, 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 it from, it, it seems unlikely that that Boston or Washington will be in the finals, or, or that, or even Houston or San Antonio will. But I'm, I just enjoy watching the game because I'm a fan of it. I, I enjoy watching the game. That, that that that's on the TV in front of me, and so I think, man, when you have a guy like Manu Ginobili, he's just a, he's just a gamer. Um, I think I, I think he did it he did it back uh back when they played the the Heat in the in the finals one time. He he dunked on Chris Bosh. I think Manu just Manu has that in him. You know, he's he's older now. He doesn't have it in him every night. But sometimes, like like Vince Carter, he just has to reach back in his bag and still remind people that hey, I'm I'm a bad boy. And then and then it speaks to Popovich's ability as a coach and a motivator when you see a guy like Danny Green making making drives to the basket. If you look earlier in Danny Green's career, if you could get that dude to put the ball on the floor, I mean he was he was he he became a help to the defense. It was almost like playing six on four. So you can see that he's been in the gym, that he's been in the lab, and that they have created situations to to where he can help them um, off the bounce like that. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, if, if you want to consider these games undercards, man, it's, it's, it's a heck of an undercard. I, I enjoy watching. I mean, and, and to be honest, the Boston, Washington, Houston, San Antonio series has been more entertaining than what we've seen the Cavs and the Warriors do, just because of that, just because of the level of competition. 
I mean, watching watching Boston and Washington is almost like it's almost like watching a reality TV show when you got eight technicals and three ejections and Rozier and Jennings going at it and the back and forth um, just between uh, guys on the court, guys on the bench. I mean, it's, it's everything that competition and drama at this level is about, man, and I love it. Hey, by the way, Nick, I, was, I just spoke to John Thompson um, Jr., Big John, the other day and asked him about the series in between Boston and Washington, and he said it looks like a Big East game. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does have it does have that feel. Um, you just you just know. I mean, and, and obviously you know their history dates back. Um, mm-hmm. you know a couple seasons ago that these guys don't like each other. Mm-hmm. Um, these are, these are two teams that that there's no love lost between them. Um, and, and it, like I said, with, with Watson, you got some guys with some chips on their shoulder. You you know uh, you know led led by you know John, John Wall is an ultimate John Wall is an ultimate competitor. Marquise Morris is a guy who's always getting twisted up with his opposition. Uh, he got into it with Paul Millsap in the in the series against Atlanta, and it just has that 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 physicality that we associate with the Big East and in in eighties and nineties basketball. And I think in a, in, a, in a day now where it's so much buddy ball, and you got guys like Kevin Durant going to play with his opposition, super teams. It's good to just see some dudes that don't like each other getting it on, you know. He was talking, John was talking about Kelly Oubre, who just is the nicest kid you ever want to meet. And all of a sudden, he rushes down and just goes, all right, I've had enough. You know, it's like, okay. Um, it's, um, it yeah, does uh, make – go ahead, Joe. No, I was just going to say, Ira, Ira was talking about uh, Popovich, and, and certainly he is on the short list um, in the conversation of, uh, of greatest coaches of all time. But that triggered a thought of – you know, we judge these coaches by their sustained excellence, and we do the same for players. And I can remember sitting there watching Manu Ginobili. I was in Athens, Greece at the 2004 Olympics, and he's out there schooling the U.S., the mighty U.S. dream team, which was more of a nightmare team that year, um, in, you know, in the, in the Olympic semifinal, just ran all over top of them. And that was... 2004 so we forget how long that this guy has been playing at at an ultra high level and we saw it again you know with the clutch play uh with the block on harden last night it it does it at both ends of the floor and i know he said that was a first for him uh coming up with a with what in essence was the game winning block last night but you just got to like the way a guy like Ginobili plays and the way a guy like Popovich coaches. It's, he, is, he has built sustained excellence there. And this is not, uh, to use the phrase, uh, you know, a, a super team, a dream team, anything like that. It's just a really good, fundamental, fun basketball team. And if you are a basketball fan, and I am, I got to admit, at this point, I love I love watching LeBron play. You love watching the way Golden State plays. But if San Antonio were to figure out a way to win this thing, it it wouldn't break my heart. Okay, guys, one. Um, let's do one quick around um, to sum up the basketball segment, and then we'll go on to talking to Bill about some college football. Uh, let's move around the the group, and uh, since everybody thinks it's going to be Golden State and and Cleveland, uh, any thoughts on who wins it and in how many games? We'll start with uh, Henderson. You just talked. We'll go, we'll go to you. 
Okie doke. I will, being a, a loyal uh, former resident of the great state of OHIO, I will go with the Cavaliers in seven again. All right. Uh, uh. Ira. <laughs> well, everybody talks about LeBron, deservedly so. You know, I never thought anybody would be mentioned in, in uh, the same sentence as Jordan. I, I never did. I close my eyes. I, I just can't imagine anybody being a better player than Michael Jordan. Uh, but with all the emphasis on LeBron, let's not forget, he's got a very able accomplice in, in Kyrie Irving, who merely hit the biggest shot of the playoffs last season, uh, full of confidence. And I don't think Irving uh, backs down one iota from uh, Steph Curry. And I'm kind of with Henderson. I don't want to be with Henderson, but I'm kind of with <laughs> Henderson. Uh, a lot of pressure on the Warriors. I'm going with the Cavs to uh, make it back-to-back. Okay, Mr. Bender. I mean, I'm not allowed to say anything but Cleveland, I don't think. I'd get run out of the <laughs> state. But, uh, no, I, I, this is a, has all the earmarks to be another seven-game series. Um, it's going to be very tough for Cleveland to overcome what Golden State has. I, I mean – if possible, like I mentioned, LeBron in the finals, they lost. Incredible. LeBron in the finals, they win. Incredible. And he's going to have to somehow tap into something even more. But but the good thing is a couple difference makers. I mean, if J.R. Smith hits his shot, if Kyle Korver plays like he's been playing, I mean, they're getting that off the bench now. I think the Cavs have a chance. So, you know, I'm going to say Cavs in seven, but couch it with it's, it's going to take another Superman-like effort from LeBron James to do that. Tim up in Boston? You know, I, I think after last year, I've started to look at these this Cavs versus the Warriors thing as the thing we're going to remember the most about LeBron's career when we're looking back on it later on. And it, it makes it hard for me to say, to pick the Warriors, because it seems like this is where we got one of the greatest performances we're going to see out of any basketball player out of LeBron last year. And I, I think if anyone has that effort in him again, it's LeBron. I would take the Cavs in seven. I, I guess it's a little bit of a, a landslide here, which is it, it's odd because that's a great Warriors team. And I don't think anyone's taking away from that Warriors team, but it's so hard to pick against the Cavs when you think about it in terms of LeBron. And it, it's hard not to think of the Cavs in terms of LeBron. Well, now going to our um, experts, oh, the man himself, Nick Birdsong from Sporting News. Nick, what do you got? Gentlemen, gentlemen. So, so we are we calling the Warriors uh, uh, under an underdog? Like, look, <laughs> here's the thing. <laughs> let's, I, let's, for let's, the record, Nick. For the record, I'm on the Warriors in six, but that's. Uh, okay. Giving you first the- of all, this is this is we haven't even played the, the conference. We're not even done with the conference semifinals. I guess both of these teams are. So I feel like if I say this, I have to stick with this because that's the kind of guy I am. I don't like making multiple predictions. But I will get. I'm the biggest LeBron James believer supporter that you will see. But this team that won 73 games <laughs> added Kevin Durant, possibly the most uniquely gifted offensive player of our time. Like, of our time. I, I guess 
yeah, uniquely gifted in the sense that he's a seven foot two guard who can easily be a ninety percent from the from the free from the from the free throw line, forty percent from three, fifty percent from the field guy. And he's got and he's got guard like handles. He's like Dirk Nowitzki with, with, with handles and a Steph Curry like shot. Um, I would say I'm gonna go Warriors in five and I'm only giving the Cavs that one game because I feel like they will be able to will themselves in some sort of way to to to, to a victory. But I, I don't think that the Warriors should lose a game this playoffs with what they have and every and everybody healthy and the Cavs struggles and we haven't seen them yet due to the level of competition, but they struggle with, with defensive rotations. And then you see Draymond Green shooting 55% from three, and he's the fourth best shooter in their starting five, not and not the fourth best shooter in their team, but just the fourth best shooter in their starting five. He's probably lower than that on their team. They still have to actually play basketball, and, and I think, I think like, the Cavs are just going to be outmatched with the addition of the second best player in the world to a team that won 73 games. Well, there you go. All right, guys. Tell you what. Here's what we're going to do. We're now going to shift from talking NBA basketball to talking college football. And Mr. Bender from Sporting News, Bill, um, you guys have a preseason top 25 that you were involved with. What are you looking at? What are we? What should we be looking forward to here in the 2017 college football season? Well, I mean, it's obviously so early, and I, you know, people complain about the early content, which I always laugh at because, you know, what are you supposed to do when you're at a summer barbecue and somebody asks you about where you think Miami or Florida State's going to be? You can't say, hey, it's too early for bull projections. You have fun with it. So, I mean, it, it goes back to where we started with Alabama. I mean, they'll be number one in most preseason polls. They're so loaded. The depth of recruiting shows up. Um but for that program, it's all about the response and how do you respond to losing to Clemson with the possibility that they're probably going to open the season with Florida State in what could be a game of the century. I don't know if Florida State will be ranked number two, but it's definitely going to be possible. And then, you know, what if Florida State wins that game? What will be the referendum on Alabama? I think that's the biggest early season theme we're looking at. Can you have a game of the century, guys, in, in week one? Uh, that that might be a little bit of a stretch, guys. A little bit. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's it's a stretch, but not not necessarily because if Alabama's ranked number one, number two will either be Florida State, who has a lot coming back. Um, anybody that got to look at Cam Akers in the spring game, that's a guy that I mean, he put up 102 total yards already. They've got a ton of talent, very good quarterback, and you know we all know the storyline between Jimbo and Nick. Um, and then I think USC with Sam Darnold, the hype is very real. They have a lot of injuries on the offensive line. Or, you know, the kind of the default setting is, would be to put Ohio State number two, giving, given the same talent accumulation, new offensive coordinator, um, always the team to beat in the Big Ten, even though Urban Meyer only has one Big Ten championship. What, what about um... – Bill, from a standpoint, you know, we talked about you were talking about the game of the century, and I were talking about already in game in season one. I remember a couple of years ago, maybe it was four or five years ago, where it seemed like we had a game of the century every two weeks. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it just we we tend to we we don't tend to underplay these things. You know, it's like um, it is what it is. But um, yeah, Jim, I, I got a question, Jim. Go I ahead. got a question uh, go, go, for, go. for our esteemed colleague. Uh, 
And I'm going to ask this uh, for, for Henderson, too, unless he uh, contradicts me. But, Bill, why, why can't they find a quarterback in Gainesville, Florida? What is going on at the University of Florida, Bill, in terms of finding uh, not a Deshaun Watson, but a, but a guy who's, uh, who's at least competent? What is the problem there? Well, it makes you appreciate the job Jim McElwain's done the last two years where, you know, last year the special teams weren't good. The quarterback play wasn't good. Uh, aside from maybe a five or six game snapshot with Will Green, the offense hasn't been good. And they've yet, yet they've still won back-to-back SEC East championships. And now, you know, it's about taking the next step. You can win the SEC East, but, you know, your reward for that last year was being a 24-and-a-half-point underdog in, in the SEC title game. So, I like Felipe Franks. I like what he did in the spring game. I like that he was throwing the ball down the field a little bit. It looked good on the opening drive. I think unless Malik Zaire transfer rumors come to fruition, I think Felipe Franks is the guy when they play Michigan in the opener. And, boy, what an opener that's going to be. I mean, we'll see how the quarterback play is going to be because uh, Michigan's got a very good defensive line, but they lost a ton of starters. I think this is a real statement game for Florida. If they win that and beat Tennessee, they'll really be on their way in Jim McElwain's third year. Yeah, Ira, I mean, we've, we've all watched the Gators here for a long time. And even um, when Spurdog himself was there and, you know, the Gators were running the fun and gun and throwing the ball all over the place, they didn't even then have what you would consider an elite-level quarterback. Yeah, they had some guys that went on uh, to the NFL, but – um, and of course we remember Danny Warfel and guys like that, but these were not prototype quarterbacks that you think of in terms of like a Cam Newton or somebody like that. So that trend has, has like gone ahead in, in triplicate here in the last several years. And, uh, I think the Gators are still in a way, trying to crawl out from under uh, the Will Muschamp era, uh, where um, offense was uh, kind of a forgotten thing. You've heard me talk before, guys, about you don't mess with a program's DNA, what Muschamp did, and trying to 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 put the emphasis he did on defense and and you know conservative offense and all of that. It's going to take. Uh, a little bit of time to turn that around. This is the third year. Uh, maybe it happens, but um, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. And I, I think offense uh, has been a problem for Florida and may well continue to be. Yeah, I, I, like I said, uh, with the spring game, the, the encouraging signs would be you have a decent running back in Scarlet, I think, you know, and this is that list-making season for me that you throw out the top 25 running backs. He's He's in that conversation. We'll do top 25 receivers. A guy like Callaway will be there. Um, and then, like I said, it comes down to a Franks, a Del Rio, or even possibly Zaire, where, you know, you step into Doug Nussmeyer's offense and you just got to gotta make it happen. I think the one, the other question with Florida this year will be, what does the defense really look like with Randy Shannon, a defensive coordinator? Um, he didn't get a real good look at that in the spring game. You know, they got guys that can get after the passer, but um, it, it's just – this year in particular in the SEC, you're going to need that quarterback play because uh, 
they're they're about half the team's got a pretty good one right now, and that's not always the case in the SEC. Somehow they have they have talent everywhere else, and not at quarterback. But but this year it's a pretty deep class. Hey Bill, um, from your standpoint, what are some of the teams we should be looking out for that we may be flying under the radar? Well, I mean, from a from a national or just uh, you know like teams that could get the playoff the playoff that that aren't really talked about. Sure. Either way. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, I think the SEC, I guess the sleeper team, if there is one, I mean, it's not really a sleeper at this point. I mean, everybody's going to be talking about Auburn because they love what Jarrett Stidham did in the spring game. Um, they love the offense. They actually think that could be a team that could challenge Alabama because over the last few years, the SEC has been Alabama and everybody else. Um, you know, in the Big 12, it, it, this could be the year that Oklahoma State breaks through. Or uh, a team that I kind of just really like what's going to happen is Kansas State. Because, I mean, Bill Snyder is undergoing throat cancer treatments. I mean, he's still coaching. I think it's going to be one of those emotional years at Kansas State where they, you know, and they do that every once in a while. Now they got their quarterback back. they got four offensive linemen back. They've got uh, almost an entire defense back. And they'll, they'll, they'll be a winner. And they've got their tough games at home. So, Kansas State's one, and then I guess if you want to go up to Big Ten country, that's um, yeah, hard to get past Penn State, Michigan, Ohio State as the, the big winners. But um, I think Northwestern, with what they've got coming back, could make a run and maybe challenge Wisconsin in the Big Ten West. Question uh, I would have uh, for Bill is um, there's there's a little bit of, of kind of a, a tie right now between uh, – University of Texas and South Florida, and uh, both places have new coaches. Both, uh, of course, Charlie Strong leaves Texas, comes to USF, and uh, Tom Herman leaves from, uh, from the AAC member uh, Houston and goes to Texas. How do you see those situations playing out? That's interesting because as, as you see these early top 25, Texas and South Florida aren't separated by more than a couple spots either way no matter which site you look at. And I hope you're looking at sporting news. <laughs> but uh, I am. Texas, <laughs> Texas uh, I, I really like how Tom Herman fits there. He's he's charismatic. He's candid. I've had a couple conversations with him where he's pretty upfront. And, you know, that obviously he's going to have to button that up a little bit at a major powerhouse. But I think the offense will be a lot better with Shane Bouchelle. So the, the key for them, obviously, long-term, is if you look at recruiting last year, Eight of the top ten kids in the state of Texas went outside the state. So he's got to keep that in-state talent in-house. And if he does that, it'll be fine. I think they'll be challenging for Big 12 championships soon. Charlie Strong's a little more interesting this year because they're ready to go now. I mean, they've got a Heisman contender at quarterback. Uh, the only quarterback that had more rushing yards than Quentin Flowers last year was Lamar Jackson. So, I mean, they're kind of ready to be that group of five school and maybe run through the American Athletic Conference get a New Year's Day six bowl. I don't know if it's enough to get in the playoff because their schedule isn't that great, but uh, I, I think Charlie Strong's redemption starts now, and, and it'll be good to see because he's a good coach and he's proven that in the past. Nick, you want to weigh in on anything here, bud? Uh, I'm definitely uh, not <laughs> not not anywhere near the college football expert uh, uh, that, that, that Bill is by far. Um, but uh, obviously, everybody is interested in that in that first game between um, between Alabama and Florida State. Um, uh, Bill knows this. I'm a I'm a I'm a Florida State uh, Florida State fan. 
and uh, I think the best time to catch Alabama is is early. Um, they they've lost a lot, obviously. If you look at the draft, um, you know, with with everybody that they had go, especially early, but even even throughout the draft, I know they got started a little bit later this year. Um, but I think that's the that's the best time. Um, that's the best time to catch a team like like Alabama, Florida State um, this year. Um, even though they have a lot a lot coming back, and and obviously that's why the expectations are high. Uh, with 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 Francois coming back, even though they lose Alvin Cook, they still mention they have a guy like Cam Akers coming back. I think the I think the biggest thing um, with them, um, the offensive line uh, last year was just an atrocity, and if that is your uh, potentially your Achilles heel, and you have to face a team like Alabama with the type of linemen that they're known uh, that they're known for producing and just the defensive juggernaut that they are, I think um, that game, although we're looking at we're looking at it to be extremely competitive, we know that the games are won and lost along the lines. Um, and if you look at the games that Florida State lost last year, whether it be Clemson, whether it be uh, the North Carolina game, um, and a Louisville game was just a, was just a blowout. Um, I think um, you, you have they have to show up that that offensive line. Uh, the question I wanted to throw out there, um, just listening to the commentary about about the Gators, and maybe Bill can speak to this, or you guys, um, you know, watch them closely is. Obviously, they made the SEC championship game last year, but they had a lot of guys go in the draft. What, is, what do you guys think their defense is going to look like, especially with um, Bill mentioning that in the SEC this year, you're going to need a quality defender because, of, you know, quality defensive backs. And I know they, they, they lost a lot back there this year. So how, how did the Gators look um, as far as the secondary, and how could that affect, you know, what, what they could do in the SEC? Well, yeah, I mean, that'll be huge because they lost Tabor. They lost, you know, first, second-round corners the last few years. Uh, the secondary's not, you know, wasn't there in some big games either. I mean, Tennessee kind of ripped them up in the second half. You saw that. So, again, I think it comes down to scheme with Randy Shannon. You know, they'll be able to get after the passer. They've got some good guys up front. But how much pressure, it's about having that defensive line taking pressure off everybody else. And that's, I, I don't know, this is one thing I can tell all of you guys that I look at this early, is when I think of, a team that's going to contend, I basically look at two things. I start at, do they have the quarterback, you know, quarterback that can, you know, whatever your scheme is, can you win with them? And then I kind of go straight to defensive line. How much depth do you have up front? And to me, it wasn't an accident that Alabama and Clemson have been there the last few years because their defensive lines are ridiculous. Alabama's depth up front is just dumb. Clemson's got that again this year. That's why I don't think there'll be a huge drop-off. And then you go up north and – uh Ohio State's just got a scary amount of talent up front with Tyquan Lewis staying. So that's kind of where I start. So if Florida has that defensive line working, they'll be fine. And then, uh, you know, like, like Nick said about Florida State, Alabama, I, I can't agree more that this is the right time to catch them, even though Alabama has a history of just nuking people in the opener. They did that to USC last year. But I think Florida State, with what they got coming back, especially up front, Whenever I watch Alabama, you watch the first ten plays up front, you'll kind of know where it's going. I uh, I have a different uh, question uh, for Bill here uh, a little bit. You you alluded to um, Tom Herman at at Houston trying to begin to keep uh, more of the uh, Texas players in state, and Ohio State did come down and grab what three top tier prospects out of Texas last year. The whole Big yeah. 12 seems to be kind of teetering right now. How do you see that playing out for the conference? Are they going to revisit expansion, or are they going to sit back and wait for Oklahoma and Texas to bolt? How do you see that playing out? 
Well, I can give you here. I'll do. I'll, I can do this two ways. I'll give you like the politically, the political what will probably happen. Answer is that the Big Twelve will just march on, stick with the money, see what happens. Um, you know, a big game for them this year in the short term is Oklahoma at Ohio State because uh, as we look at the college football playoff, maybe ten years down the road, uh, it'll be a trivia question like what team in the Power Five didn't lose a conference game but didn't get in the playoffs? And that's Oklahoma last year. So I think adding championship games helps. But long term, and this is something you're seeing now, the gap isn't between the Power Five and Group Five. The gap is between the fact that Alabama and Michigan had more players drafted than the entire Big 12. I mean, that's a problem for the Big 12 when you have two schools outproducing them. And that's going to continue. So – you wonder if the long-term play in college football is the fact that maybe down the road the Big 12 breaks up and maybe the, the, the scramble happens and then we end up with the four super conferences and the four 16-team super conferences. Then you wonder who grabs Texas and Oklahoma, who grabs Notre Dame, who, uh, you know, because if, if you add Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, <laughs> I mean, or do you add them to the Big 10, would they go out west? I think uh, – the scramble between those conferences, because to me, the gap right now, the ACC, SEC, and Big Ten can argue all they want. They're all bringing in tons of revenue, having good years. It's kind of leaving the Pac-12 and Big 12 behind a little bit. You know, when Larry Smith um, was getting the expansion for the what he had hoped to be the Pac-14 at the time, or 16, I'm sure, you remember that, I mean, Texas, Texas A&M, Ohio, uh, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State were pretty much signed and ready to go. And the holdup was um, Larry Larry wouldn't sign off on the um, on the Longhorn Network. And that really is the, the thing that killed them from um, from bolting in the first place. So I would think if things go the way according to plan that Texas and um, and if there were to be a split of the Big 12 that uh, that those schools probably would be aligned already to go out west. I don't think Texas wants to play in the Big Ten. I don't think Texas wants to play in the Southeastern Conference. I don't think they want to play in a conference where they can't be the dominant team. Well, they, they that that yeah, and that's that's the interesting part because, like I said, the the more interesting conversations aren't the here's how the Big 12 survives, they're more what happens if the Big 12 doesn't survive. And, and, you know, just looking at it, and like you said, like you guys know by now, I'm based up in Big Ten country. You kind of slant some things that way. You wonder what the Big Ten West would look like if they added Texas and Oklahoma and put them back in the same division with Nebraska. Because, again, and I'm a traditionalist as far as college football, You but 15 years ago, if you told me, Nebraska is going to be in the Big Ten when you're in your 30s. I'd have told you you were crazy. So I, I think that's the interesting thing. Who grabs those two? And really, what happens with Notre Dame? Do they join the ACC full time? You know, uh, what would that do for them? Because it's very similar to Texas, the hang up being NBC. But, you know, it, it's not just loose talk, though. I mean, Barry Trammell had a very interesting column about it in the Oklahoma this Oklahoma this week about, you know, where would Oklahoma fit if the Big 12 dissolved? And, and, he kind of pitches the Big Ten there, too. I don't think Oklahoma has the AAU um, deal, the academic aspect, to get them in the uh, the, Big Tw- uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, I know. That's, that, that was one of the things he mentioned as well. So you wonder, 
you know, which schools would it be? And, you know, and this is one of those deals where selfishly living up here, I've always hoped that Notre Dame would join the Big Ten because it just makes sense. Uh, you know, the Notre Dame-Michigan rivalry, the Notre Dame, Notre Dame-Ohio State games always generate a ton of buzz. And then you wonder which schools – so if the SEC were go, to go to 16, you got to think they would make a pretty aggressive play to get Texas and uh, Texas and o- Oklahoma, especially – because they would get the Texas Texas A&M thing back, and that no two fan bases fight more that don't play each other every year than Texas and Texas A&M. Well, I'll give you a little bit of hope on the Notre Dame front. In a couple of months, Notre Dame will be a member of the Big Ten in hockey. Now, that's that's a weird sport with its own unique conferences, but in one way, Notre Dame will be a Big Ten member starting in November. Right, and, and here's the thing with Notre Dame and. Uh, you know, people love them, hate them, whatever. They're so polarizing. I get it. But that's a school that could benefit from being in a conference because, to me, not being in a conference in the college football playoff era, you basically hamstring yourself to saying we probably got to go 12-0 and because if you go 11-1, and somebody will have a conference championship ahead of you. So, And for further proof, I mean, look what the ACC has done for Notre Dame basketball. I mean, that's just increased visibility from a team that was – and they were okay in the Big East, but now they get a couple Elite Eight appearances. They, I think they've won an ACC tournament, and that, that visibility certainly has helped on that front. Um, <clears throat> well, guys, excuse me for the clearing my throat there. Um, tell you what, we've, um, we've come to the time when we've got to wrap things up here, so let's, um, let's do what we normally do, our thoughts for the week and things we're going to be watching or paying attention to. And uh, also your social media. So um, let's do our guests first. Uh, Nick Birdsong from Sporting News. Nick, thanks for being with us. Your thoughts of what to watch this week, what you're going to be paying attention to, and how we can follow you on social media. Okay. Uh, well, obviously, um, I'm going to be paying attention to, uh, to to the NBA playoffs. And uh, I think uh, I think what we touched on earlier is something that I just want to leave people with. Just enjoy uh, the game that you're watching. Um, when you're watching uh, LeBron James, just enjoy um, the the moment. One of the greatest players, one of the greatest athletes we'll ever see. Um, you know, don't worry about is he better than Michael Jordan? Is is a more apt comparison? Um, Magic Johnson. Just enjoy, just enjoy the game for what it is. Just live in that moment. The ups, the highs, um, the, the the lows, the downs, whatever you want to call it. Just enjoy um, sports. Enjoy the enjoy the competition, and and worry about whether he's competing against history or Michael Jordan and, and all of that stuff later. Uh, just don't, don't, don't cheapen or waste your experience. You can follow me on social media, um, on Twitter, um, at birds underscore word. Um, that's usually the best way to, uh, to get in contact with me, B-I-R-D-S underscore W-O-R-D. Outstanding. How about you, Bill? Bill Bender. <laughs> Sporting yeah, day. I'm right with I'm right with Nick, who you know he again he does such a good job for us and has great NBA insight. And um, I think you have to enjoy the buildup and the fact that we're probably going to get the first NBA trilogy in terms of they've played three straight years. Um, it happened it happened in the conference finals. Magic and Bird went took them four years to play three finals. So. You know, whether you saw it with the Sixers and the Celtics or, you know, Russell and Chamberlain, that's the kind of thing we're watching here is uh, I like how Nick put it earlier. It's kind of like a historical film, basically, where the, the documentary is right in front of us. And 
you know, if they go this year, it's going to be, I don't think I've ever been more excited for a potential NBA final probably since I was a kid watching magic and bird. And I think, uh, that's where we're at now. Now, college football, we will have uh, <laughs> plenty of that off-season stuff, and I encourage people to argue through the summer because that's what gets us through. So, uh, you know, and you can find me at BillBender92, and um, I'll be ready to go for that first weekend of September. I'm telling you guys that it could be a game of the century, and I don't like overplaying things, but I think it's going to happen. Well, Bill, to your question about um... – the documentary aspect of it. I just hope the documentary is not done by um, <clears throat> by Ken Burns. There will be a very long documentary, but no <laughs> yeah, eight, eight parts. Yeah, we, we could we could be. You know, when you're talking about the game of the century in basketball, I mean, in college football, they could still be playing the NBA Finals if that were the case. Was the Ken Burns documentary? Uh, all right. Tim, up in Boston, give us your best uh, thing on what's going on this weekend and um, and also um, social media. Well, I may have referred to it as an undercard earlier in the show, this, this Celtics Wizards series. But having watched this Celtics team all year, it is – they do – They've done everything right building their team. They've found great players to build around. They have a fantastic coach. Their GM knows what he's doing. They have the Brooklyn Nets draft picks, what seems like in perpetuity. And it's great. And it just makes me wonder, they have all these things going for them, and it still seems almost impossible that they would find a way to get to the level of the Cavaliers and the Warriors. These are great teams, and the NBA has been fantastic these last few years with all the various plots going through the league. But it makes me wonder what this league's going to go through in a couple of years when these teams aren't ruling the NBA because right now they're so far ahead of everyone else that you could be rooting for the third, fourth, fifth best team in the NBA and being anything but a conference finalist is kind of a pipe dream at this point, which is both great because it leads to these fantastically entertaining teams like the Cavs and the Warriors and these series that it's impossible not to look forward to. That's certainly good for the game. And we're going to be talking about these series for decades to come, but it makes me wonder the rest of the sport, what's the rest of the league going to do while these teams are just dominating everything else? And how exactly does anyone get to that level? And you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wright's sports. All right, Mr. Kaufman, you're up next. All right, Tim, you can get me on Twitter at iCalston76. And I feel it's incumbent on me, uh, Jim, to remind uh, our listeners that there's another set of playoffs going on in in the National Hockey League. And I'm going to bring it all back to your neck of the woods, Mr. Williams, because to me, uh, the intriguing storyline is uh, Washington and Alex Ovechkin's search for credibility uh, as uh, one of the great superstars uh, in his league. Uh, That elusive Stanley Cup is hanging out there uh, for uh, Capitals fans, and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, there's some tremendous fans in Washington uh, for that hockey team. Uh, Mm -hmm. Outstanding support. And if they can topple the Penguins, uh, 
and I think they can because they have all the momentum. Uh, I'm going to follow the Capitals' path towards the Stanley Cup. I think it's a great story and one that's going uh, largely unnoticed. Here, here, my friends. Um, big night in the DMV with um, with the Capitals playing the Pens over at Chinatown and uh, the Nationals playing the uh, Orioles over in uh, Nats Park. And every television will be turned to Boston Garden where the where the uh, Wizards are playing against uh, the Celtics. So it's a, a big time, and we'll see how that thing rolls. And tonight we'll find out if Alex can take the next step. And meanwhile, batting cleanup. Uh, Joe Henderson, your thoughts and your uh, social media. Well, a um, couple of things. Um, uh, in keeping in, in the spirit of looking at other sports, I do have to remind my friend Ira that uh, we have reached uh, this point in May, and my Cincinnati Reds are only a half game out of first, and his San Francisco Giants are slipping beneath the waves. And I'm um, wondering what's going on there, buddy. Uh, your your team is uh, – is in free fall. I had, I just, uh, I wanted to make sure you knew that, but, uh, on a, on a serious and, and very somber note, um, condolences to Chris Berman, um, of his, uh, wife of more, of more than 30 years, uh, Kathy in an, in an automobile accident. Chris, um, is a pioneer in sports broadcasting. I think we would all agree with that. And just, thoughts and prayers with him at, uh, at this incredibly difficult time. Thanks, Joe, about the uh, loss of Kathy. It was a devastating situation. Of course, Kathy Berman married to Chris for 33 years, a wonderful lady. And uh, again, our thoughts and prayers are with Chris, who's a, a great guy, a good friend, and someone who um, clearly um, helped build ESPN into what it is right now today. Uh, there would not necessarily be as much success at ESPN if it were not for the hard work of uh, the early people there, Chris Berman being uh, one of the first, along with Bob Lee. So our thoughts and prayers to the Berman family. That brings to a close yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast, and we hope that uh, you subscribe to us. You know you can do it. It's very simple. You can do it through Blog Talk Radio. You can do it through the iTunes Store, and of course you can do it through Stitcher. Stitcher, where you'll find a lot of really outstanding podcasts, whether they're at sports or politics or just general interest. Some great stuff at Stitcher. We're happy to be part of the Stitcher family. So you can get us, as I said, through Block Talk Radio, through iTunes, or through Stitcher. All right? So no excuse not to have the Sunshine Boys podcast in your podcast collection. Okay, so let's give our thanks. And our thanks, of course, are to Nick Birdsong and uh, Bill Bender from Sporting News. Nick, of course, handles the NBA coverage, does an outstanding job, and uh, you should read his work on uh, SportingNews.com. And Bill Bender, college football expert, also uh, at SportingNews.com. Thanks to both of them. Thanks, of course, to Tim Williams up in Boston and to the Sunshine Boys themselves. That would be Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. Until next time, everyone, have a wonderful weekend and enjoy your favorite sports. 